Welcome to BioChat, a podcast by AppClonal Technology. My name is Ken Lung, and with this podcast, we aim to familiarize you with not only AppClonal's contributions to efforts in scientific discovery, but also to highlight the direction of ongoing research and help scientists determine how to best leverage their skills to improve global human health and quality of life. Join me today in welcoming Mr. Josiah Carney. He is the president of Pronique Scientific, LLC. It is a company specializing in native proteins based in Colorado. How are you doing, Josiah? Hey, Ken. I'm doing extremely well. Thank you for having me on and inviting me for this. We had done business before in my previous job, and you had quality products that we wanted to source. A lot of people normally talk about recombinant proteins, but not very many people really think about native proteins. So I thought that you would be a great person to basically teach me a lot about the native protein process. What got you into science? Why do you even love science? I think that probably would harken back to my parents, uh, my family. My, my dad was a geologist and from an early age always sort of instilled a sense of awe and wonder for the natural world in me. And so I've always pursued the source of truth in the universe and try to make myself understand how the world works around me. And I've always been a very skeptical person. So to me, that requires observing it firsthand. I, I wasn't satisfied to hear that Saturn had rings. I wanted to get a telescope and see them. I wasn't satisfied to hear that enzymes have activity. I want to put amylase into a cuvette and measure how much starch it can catalyze in a minute. And so it's sort of been a long process of proving the fundamental teachings that, I, that I've accumulated about the natural world to myself over time and trying to expand my own sense of knowledge for my own satisfaction. I've been lucky enough to be able to have a role here. I am 99% of Pronique Scientific at the moment. We are a very small company. Sometimes I jokingly say that I am the president, owner, and chief janitor of Pronique Scientific. I've been very fortunate and blessed to be able to make a career out of doing what I love, which is, is honestly science. I sort of consider myself more of an amateur businessman and full-time scientist. I didn't really know what an invoice was until I sent it to my first customer, and everything business-related has sort of been trial by fire, and I definitely consider myself a scientist above all and definitely a businessman second. From my point of view, like I know my former mentor has started a company and, you know, other scientists within the institution that I work work that have started companies. So there's no problem with a scientist deciding to go into business for themselves. I guess there's a different level of jargon and other things involved, but I'm sure you can talk about that later. But let's focus on your education because I have to call you Mr. So as a scientist, Apparently, you don't have to get a PhD. And, you know, this is one of those things that I've learned over the years is that you don't actually have to have a PhD in order to do science, although it helps to have a PhD so that people can recognize you for being an expert in the field or whatever, which kind of is unfortunate. But maybe you could tell us a little bit about where you come from education wise. Well, folks only have to talk to me to realize that what an expert I am. So <laughs> kidding. But I, yeah, no, I, I have a degree in biochemistry from the University of Missouri in Columbia. And that's really it in terms of higher education. If there were PhDs given in chromatography or protein purification, I may have earned an honorary title at this point, but have nothing else official, unfortunately, to my name. I kind of was ready to be out of school when I graduated from a zoo. I actually initially intended on going into medical school. I had heard at the time one of the best ways to prepare for the MCAT was to tutor. 
And so I tutored all the MCAT pre prerequisite classes pretty much full time at the University of Missouri. And that managed to keep me really, really fresh in all of those topics. And then I actually, I did pretty darn well on the MCAT, but I, I didn't really have the volunteer work. My GPA wasn't amazing and I, I didn't really have the job shadowing. So it probably would have taken me a little bit longer to get into medical school. And by that point, I, I was done <laughs> cramming for tests and, and, and wanted to get into the quote unquote real world. I feel like I realized pretty quickly that education is in the academics is, is a little bit more fun actually than working. Um, <laughs> at least, at least full-time coming straight from a uh, pretty fun sort of college life. Yeah. So that, that's pretty much it. Everything else has been very much on the job. I, I was fortunate to start my career in St. Louis. When I started there, they were a very small company. I was able to sort of grow with them sort of Looking back, I was maybe more of a problem child than I should have been. I've always kind of been outspoken and thought I knew better when I didn't when I was there. But it gave me the opportunity to get to see sort of all the different aspects of a company, you know, because it was so small. I There were certain days I would have to do fills or certain days I would have to help out in quality control or certain days I would have to write a procedure or certain days I would actually be preparing a product, you know, and so getting to see all the different ways that a company sort of works together and having to wear all those hats when it was very small really contributed to my understanding of a company in general. And I was able to sort of leverage that experience into my role now at Pronique. Yeah, it, it was kind of a blessing for me, to, for me to be able to kind of start there during the days when it was small. They, uh, I earned their ISO 13485 certification while I was working there. And so I also got to see the progression of a company from a small time less regulated uh, enterprise into a much larger and heavily regulated FDA compliant company that has contributed significantly into my own understanding in terms of dealing with government regulations or ISO auditing or whatever. I will say Pronique doesn't have any ISO certifications at the moment. We're just simply too small right now, unfortunately. But, you know, that's obviously the goal. That That's the direction everybody is kind of moving. So I will be able to, again, sort of leverage my, my experience going through those things at my old job and hopefully put them into practice as I improve the culture of quality at Pronique. A lot of, a lot of street smarts at this point. So <laughs> You had a really cool story about how you even ended up with this company. It just seems like serendipity, but because of hard work and perseverance and your own like can-do attitude and your, also your own knowledge, you're able to make this little company very successful. Yeah, it, you know, it, the, the stars sort of aligned for me to end up where I am today. I decided that I was done enduring the Missouri summers and wanted to move to Colorado. <laughs> so my girlfriend and I at the time, we took a vacation out, kind of figured things things out where we might want to live. She did some job interviews and had a, had her nursing job lined up at Swedish Medical in Denver. And then we, we made the move. Before the move, you know, you try to do the intelligent thing, the networking thing everybody always likes to talk about. And so I went to my friend Bobby in logistics and said, hey, who do we know in Colorado who I could call and maybe see about getting a job? So they were they were willing to help me. And they said, well, we know this this small company called Pronique Scientific that they gave me the number and they said I should give them a call. And so I did. At this time, the company was owned by my good friend and, and mentor, Mr. Roger Hurst. And spoke to him and said that I'd be moving to Colorado soon and was looking for a job and wanted to see if he had anything available. And he told me to get lost and that he didn't have anything and that the uh, company was too small, little mom and pop operation, and, and they, they didn't really need any help at the time. And I said, all right, well, I'm moving out to Colorado anyway. I got a job at a company which manufactures vaccines for livestock. 
it was good, honest work. You had to be there very early in the morning, <laughs> which was not my favorite part. But I had been working there for a couple months when I received a call back from Mr. Hurst seeing if, if I was still looking for work. And well, at this point, I had a, had a job already. And I said, you know, I, I'm already gainfully employed, so I, I think I'm going to be okay. So he insisted that I potentially look at it as a part-time basis. And so at the time, I'm working in Commerce City, which is the far north side of Denver. And the lab was situated in Castle Rock, which is the far south. And so it was going to be around an hour and a half drive every day after work to having showed up at work for 5 a.m. And, you know, it's going to be exhausting. And so I, when he asked what I might be interested in making for this part-time salary, I decided to try and do the good businessman move, extremely amazing businessman that I am. And I tried to go high so that he could negotiate me low. So I said, okay, I, I want $100 an hour. And he goes, oh, man, oh, yo, hold the phone. There's there's no way I can justify that expense. We, you know, we're, we're a lot smaller time than that. And I said, all right, well, we hang up. You think about a price that works for you. Give me a call back and we'll get this thing figured out. We'll make a deal. And so he hangs up the phone, immediately calls my former employer in St. Louis and said, who is this Josiah scumbag who wants $100 to drive down here? And I guess, luckily, my reputation was still pretty good because the next call before before I'd even met Roger face to face, he he said, how about how about I just sell you the company? And I said, well, all right. And we were off to the races. <laughs> a couple months later, I was able to leave where I was doing the vaccine quality control and was able to work at Pronic full time where I have been ever since and haven't looked back. That's for sure. This is a super serendipitous opportunity for you. And it was kind of cool that uh, because of your qualifications, you were able to get that opportunity to actually purchase the company. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty, and, a pretty unique set of circumstances. I, I had to be in the right room with the right guy at the right time, with the right qualifications at the right part of the country. You know, I, I couldn't couldn't have moved anywhere else. But, you know, that said, I have always been an ambitious person and sort of the best things in my life have always kind of found me that way and always fallen into my lap. <laughs> Luck is, is where opportunity meets preparation. I hate that cliche, but I mean, I definitely had been preparing and, and was in the right place at the right time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because there's now there are publications that talk about how it's better to be lucky than good. But it also helps to be good. And it helps that you <laughs> had the preparation and the biochemistry training and the chromatography and everything that helps you in your business. And now we can actually talk about your business. What do you actually do there? You know, like uh, what, what's up with native proteins? Those kinds of questions that I have, because, again, a lot of the time uh, when people look for proteins, they're looking for mass produced proteins that you can just get ready supplies of that. You don't have to worry about batch effects or anything. So that's why a lot of people go through recombinant. But recombinant obviously can't uh, accommodate everything. And that's where I think you come in. Yeah, so there there are a number of ways that native proteins are still used in society today. You know, you can look at it from a historical sense. That was our first source of proteins, right? We haven't had recombinant technology when we first get to the 1960s or something, you know. So it's up to that point, if you wanted isolated proteins, you were taking it from nature. I think of a story of when the, the structure of hemoglobin was first being identified, you know, the, the 3D tertiary or quaternary structures using X-ray diffraction and so forth. They wanted to get a, a very rich source of myoglobin or hemoglobin. And so they thought, well, who's going to have 
what animal is going to have the most uh, myoglobin and hemoglobin? And they thought, well, whales really have to hold their breath for a long time, so they must be storing a lot of oxygen. And so I, the scientists at the time trying to uh, describe the 3D structures, I think, traveled down to South America where he procured large sections of whale muscle and then managed to purify myoglobin and hemoglobin from them. And eventually his lab and with his partner would go on to discover the, the the 3D structure for hemoglobin. And so it's, you know, the basis of chemistry and, and medicine and the biological sciences, as we know it, sort of has always had to, had to draw from the natural world and what's around you before we had the technologies to do, do these things synthetically using recombinants. While it is less known or more obscure corner of, of the market, it is historically much older and has, and has been around as long as people have been interested in any type of biochemistry or bio, biomolecules. It is somewhat of a antiquated sort of skill set, isolating proteins from human and animal tissues, uh, which have diagnostic value and, and can be sold as positive controls or antigens, which can be ejected into animals, which will then cultivate antibodies, which can be farmed to make immunoassays and so forth. It's, it is a very niche and, and sort of rather obscure part of part of the in vitro diagnostic market, but it is absolutely essential. So I, I actually do deal with animal products as well. Given Pronique's size, we're sort of limited on our ability as to what products we can make. So I, I try to try to focus on the lower volume, higher value products, which tend to be human in origin. As I mentioned before, the company I was working for out of St. Louis they do a lot of animal things as well, but that's, I don't have the manpower or the equipment to process 5,000 kilograms of beef kidneys. The products that I work with are much smaller scale and typically higher value, and but don't require sort of the same level of manpower to get them done. That sort of has been why, why I focus more on the human stuff is you can make a really significant quantity of HCG from, you know, a couple thousand liters of urine as opposed to, you know, several thousand kilograms of, of beef kidney having to chop it all up, put it, you know, stick it in the blender, centrifuge it all that. I mean, it takes days just to do the, the initial tissues extractions, whereas something like urine can be concentrated and processed pretty readily by one person. It is a lot of work still. <laughs> I, my girlfriend would tell you there are some nights where I don't come home. <laughs> I, I, I've been known to Rock and roll in the lab 48 hours at a time until until I get done what I need to get done. Given the value of these items too and, and their relative instability, the second the, the tissue hits a liquid, the clock's ticking and the protein starts degrading. You really got to work and operate as quickly as possible, which is, is one of the things I'm really good at and why I, I believe I have been, if you could even call it successful in any way. I love it and I, and I take it very seriously, and, and, I, and I take a lot of pride in my products, and I want them to be as good and function as well as possible. This is other scientists who I'm selling to after all, and so if I sell them something adulterated or wrong, I'm going to hear about it. <laughs> and they, and they, make no, they make no qualms about failing to let me know if something isn't exactly up to specification. So I, I take, take the role very, very seriously and will crank out the extra hours if I have to sort of a sacred responsibility that I have. And it, it is flattering to me to know that products I have purified from human tissues are in, in essentially every hospital in the world in some form or another. 
beyond the potential financial success or any other motivations you might have for running a successful company, I really do have a humanitarian appreciation for my work and feel like I'm not working in a landmine factory. I'm doing something, something that's helpful. And it does give me good satisfaction to know that I'm my HCG has has probably let millions of mothers know that they're pregnant at this point and that the smile on their face when they when they look at the little the little stick after dipping it in the pee, you know, they see the little plus and they have the baby sign. And I know that that does give me a lot of satisfaction to know that and or how many people uh, my CEA has saved from colon cancer. Colon cancer is extremely treatable and and preventable with regular screenings and both blood and dreaded colon camera there. If it can come out of a human body, I probably have worked with it at some point or another. And you can kind of let your imagination run wild with that. Don't need to, I don't don't feel like I need to really elaborate too much further after that. (laughs) No, I think uh, I I can get actually get a pretty good visual of it. Like I imagine, again, (laughs) like you said, it's a lot easier to work with urine and stuff, but you know, I've seen your products before. Like they, they are usually like the LH luteinizing hormone, FSH, and the other ones that have like the same basic alpha subunit, right? Is it the alpha or the beta that's that's it's, the same? Yeah, so it's all, all the gonadotropins share the same alpha chain. So HCG, ah. LH, TSH, and FSH all share the same alpha chain and vary only in their beta chain. And so this is where this is another instance where native proteins sort of have an ability to outshine their recombinant counterparts. When you look at HCG and LH from the amino acid sequence level, you know, the level that that you could you could easily generate recombinant material from, they essentially are identical. There's really not any distinction between LH and HCG from a, too much functionality in the body either. But the post-translational modification which occurs on them whether uh, FSH or LH in the brain and HCG from from the uterus, they undergo different levels of post-translational modification, which are not completely identical. That typically corresponds to the carbohydrate moieties that that are attached as prosthetic groups to the amino acids. Um, the glycosylation not, and whatnot, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Th- those are not as easy to clone into recombinant stuff. You know, we we've definitely made great strides in it. And, you know, in terms of using mammalian cells, which which sort of have some level of the infrastructure there already to allow for some degrees of post-translational modification, but it's not perfect. A lot of people say, oh, man, you must hate recombinants because they're going to put you out of business. And, you know, I, I have to remind them, you know, so I, I do have a con- <laughs> conscience. And so I am not against anything that's going to help public health in general. I am very pro-recombinant. I think I mentioned to you kind of kind of offhandedly that I don't even eat food that's labeled as non-GMO because I consider it unscientific fear-mongering. Transgenic plants have saved millions from starvation, and the non-GMO movement is a farce, in my opinion. <laughs> and so while I definitely do embrace recombinants, I know that they're that they that they're not a great substitute for everything. Particularly if we look at if you look at larger proteins too, um, or cell surface proteins, they de- essentially derive their function from the prosthetic groups that occur at post-translation. And so, you know, if, if you're just simply copying an amino acid sequence, you're not e- you're not even going to necessarily have the same functionality. Um, this is this is something you can re- readily observe in another one of my products, CEA carcinogenic embryonic antigen, which I purify from human liver metastases. I literally will get a human liver covered in tumors and purify the CEA from that. What's interesting is CEA is an enormous protein, 
over 100 kilodaltons. And over half of that weight, though, is in the carbohydrate prosthetic group itself. Because it is technically an an adhesion molecule, it derives its functionality from the prosthetic groups, which which protrude beyond the surface of the cell membrane. And those are, it's so complex. And there's there's literally hundreds of, up to, to thousands of different carbohydrate you know, subunits in there and being able to clone that in, in any type of recombinant setting, just at this point, maybe, maybe with AI or a little bit more higher level of higher standing, we, we could achieve it. But at this point, it's, it's really not possible. And so our best representation for these products has to, or for these, these molecules and these, these biomarkers has to come from the native source what Pronique is here to do is is bridge the gap between what recombinants are capable of doing and where they actually drop the ball a little bit. Yeah, that's an important distinction, too, because if you're looking for a test, you're not looking for a recombinant protein. You know, like if you were ever able to develop or you, your business was able to expand into, say, Alzheimer's markers or Parkinson's markers, like they're not all going to be the same from a massively expressed source. They're going to have their individual, you know, glycosylations and probably disease-based glycosylations or other post-translational modifications between a normal, healthy individual and a diseased individual. So, yeah, it's a very important niche to fill. And until I met you, I had never actually thought about native proteins before. And I'm glad I'm learning so much because it just makes sense. You know, if I'm doing like a blood test, I'm trying to use antibodies that can recognize a heterogeneous set of markers. So it does does make sense to do that, to make a test that's sensitive enough to look at all the different like polymorphisms and differences between ethnically diverse HCG, for example, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When it comes to, to detecting biomarkers, there really is no substitute for the real thing. Even if we do have really, really good recombinants, and we do, we have we have many, many good recombinants used both in in vitro diagnostics as, as well as, you know, biotherapeutics, which is unfortunately sort of an area where, where native proteins can't really quite fill in quite as well. You need them just to compare and see if your recombinants are good. If maybe we, we have all this, we do have actually pretty good HGH these days, which is uh, somatotropin. For a long time, we didn't have these, these really great recombinants, but to even know if it's good in the first place, you have to have the positive control of the real thing that you can hold it side by side to and say, yep, we, we got it. So I, I sort of always see a role, while it is sort of decreasing in, in applicability, I do sort of always see a role for, for keeping the real things around. Whenever I see native products, whether it's from your company or others, sorry, <laughs> uh, they, they always say like this particular serum or product is purified uh, from a donor that is negative for like syphilis, HIV, hepatitis, I, I forgot if it was A, B, or C, but it's hepatitis uh, negative. And then there was something else. Like, is that super important or is that like a safety measure? Is that like a cover your butt kind of thing? Uh, what's I, the deal with that? You know, um, it's definitely a cover your butt kind of thing. But <laughs> definitely I'm covering my butt when I put those on my certificates of analysis. But, no, it's it's very important. Typically, an individual who's purchasing a native material has some level of bloodborne pathogen training and understands the risks. And while all of my products are tested for HIV, the hepatitis and, and other bloodborne pathogens, 
the term is universal precaution, which essentially says that no test is 100 percent accurate. And if it came if it came from a human source, you need to work with it under the assumption that it is contaminated with a bloodborne pathogen and could potentially make you sick if you poked yourself with a needle after drawing it up accidentally. So there, there are universal precautions that, that need to be maintained. And that is, you know, the, our, our culture of safety is something we take very seriously in this part of the industry. Nothing that I make can ever be used for any type of therapeutic. Nothing I make will ever go into a person. It's all for further manufacture, research use only. I essentially provide raw materials and and I thoroughly vet my customers as well too. If someone came and knocked on my lab door and tried tried to buy a bunch of HGH from me, I probably would would ask a couple follow-up questions before I before I proceeded with the sale. So yeah, we we're making sure that that these items are going to properly qualified individuals who are going to handle them in a in a way that is safe and is consistent with a certain level of bloodborne pathogen training that kind of is necessary for anybody who gets to work with any kind of human tissues or fluids or so forth. And what do you do when you have like a supply chain crisis? Knock on wood, the worst supply chain crisis I've had to deal with has been COVID and surviving it has been a lesson for me. I didn't used to really maintain too much stock of, you know, these raw materials until I basically we, now that we're out of the, the worst of the pandemic, I guess, I'm able to kind of readdress <laughs> my my shortcomings as a businessman and failing to secure some items. And so I, I try to keep about a year's worth of material on hand at all times, just in case things kind of do get a little crazy, sort of the the canned food in the basement for the for the tornado, if you will, in case we happen to, to come across that. Thankfully, my need for human tissues is not really that significant. I am actually selling CEA from a human liver that I processed two years ago still. Some livers I will contain more than others, just like anything else. I, unfortunately, some livers have very low amounts. But the last liver that I that I managed to uh, purify, almost a gram of CEA from, and we sell it a milligram at a time. And I don't sell that much of it, you know. So 999 out of a thousand scientists have no use for what I'm selling. But those who need it know that they need it, and typically they know who Pronique is, and they're they're usually buying buying my products. It was it was scary at the start of the pandemic, you know, especially considering I, I am a scientist pretending to be a businessman. I, it, it gave me a little bit of encouragement to know that I, Pronique was originally founded in in 2008 in the midst of the housing crisis, and it did just fine. So it's been around for for that long. I don't really see it going anywhere, and uh, despite my best efforts, it continues to be successful. That said, obviously. There are lessons such as supply chain management, which I don't typically occur to most biochemists that I have sort of had to learn <laughs> for, for lack of better, learn the hard way over the years. <laughs> uh, in my mind, if you have a native antigen, it's a better immunogen for generating a better antibody. It's better for detection tests. You already mentioned uh, the use of your HCG to generate antibodies in order to make better pregnancy tests. Uh, what other interesting uh, applications ha have you had your products make from your clients, you know, that you are free to talk about? Well, I sell a lot to brokers who basically resell my product um, at a margin. And so I don't necessarily always know the end users. 
but often I oftentimes I still do. And and I do know some of the end users. Every clinical lab in in the country that is running HCG assays, you know, has a clinical analyzer in it. That clinical ana- analyzer needs to be calibrated once a week. So they have pre-dissolved uh, standards of known concentration, which they can use to revise their standard curve for the week or the day or ho- however long it takes. And so that's that's a, a pretty pretty interesting, I think, application for my stuff as is the uh, the bench serves oftentimes as the benchmark by which all the other individuals in the hospital's blood is measured. It is injected into host organisms who will make antibodies against it, which can be cultivated for immunoassays. It's used significantly in, in research. So, it, you know, research is obviously very important. I saw to a number of academic institutions. Yeah, but essentially it kind of always does boil down to just having a Having a solid copy of what it already exists in nature, I mean, it's not even a copy, just having what exists in nature as, as a benchmark to which you can try to understand human biology. That is true. Yeah. But within the uh, realm of your own uh, company's product line, is, is there like a, a need for other types of native proteins that perhaps you were thinking of, but you just don't have the manpower yet or not as much demand as you would like? Normally, you have your HGH, you have your HCG, you have all the different like luteinizing hormones and the gonadotropins and the CEA. Are there other products that you would think of adding to your catalog uh, if you had the time and the resources to do so? Oh, absolutely. I have done research on other ones, and those aren't the only products that I've made at Pronique as well. Those are sort of the products that we stock. That said, I kind of have managed to evolve some level of a reputation in the industry as as a competent protein chemist for some reason. And so if people have trouble finding something or they think that it might be a product that I might be interested in in taking on, I'll, I'll get calls about random things from time to time. And I really do kind of enjoy the research and development process of it. I yeah, no, I absolutely. I would love to develop and add as much as many as many relevant items to my product line as, as I could. Alzheimer's products. I've actually devised a, a method to purify alpha one antichymotrypsin from a human human plasma that I that I also was attempting to complex with prostate specific antigen. As I, you know, that's that's the most common type of form that particular enzyme is usually found in the blood, and so it it is a better biomarker potentially than PS than free PSA on its own. So no, I'm we're it's I you don't rest on your laurels, you know. I it's well I do try to be satisfied with where I am and what I have now. There is some level of growth that the company sort of takes on it takes on its own personality in life and and you want to see it grow and succeed. And not not even necessarily from from a selfish or a money motivated standpoint. It's I want to see Pronique standing up with Abclonal one day. <laughs> that that would be the dream. <laughs> yeah, as small companies, we do want to grow. Obviously, we want to make money and make everybody happy, like eventual shareholders and whatnot. That's a drop in the bucket compared to the amount of good that the, these companies can do in providing excellent research products for people. And you have like a ready supply of products. Obviously, you have a stockpile and you have some very popular products. Have you ever thought about branching out? You know, I'm not a businessman either. I couldn't go into business for myself because, yeah, there's a lot of risk involved. And it's kind of cool that you were able to assume that risk and really thrive with it. But if you were able to 
you know, generate the good enough margins and say, like expand, what would you try to get into next? Oh man, I'd compete with SpaceX, right? That's gotta be the, <laughs> that's the only, that's the only answer, right? You gotta be shooting rockets, you know? <laughs> no, yeah. I love, I love, I love aviation and astronomy and stuff like that. If Pronik became the next Amazon, I would absolutely do what Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk are doing and start a rocket company. It's just, I don't, I can't imagine anything on earth that's possible. I mean, possibly cooler. (laughs) (laughs) I'm interested in the purification process. Obviously I'm not going to ask you to give away like trade secrets or anything, but you know, when I was uh, working at previous companies, I realized that, Hey, there was like an acid washing step in order to purify antibodies. And I was like, wow, you're 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 basically throwing a sledgehammer at these proteins. Are can they still work? And apparently they do. Like proteins are a lot more hardy than we we think. And it's just amazing that you can like run these proteins through the ringer, even though you're on the clock. Some of them. And even after some of yeah, them. <laughs> yeah. And even after that, they are bioactive and and relevant to the researchers who source them. So that's a really cool magic of biochemistry that uh, they don't really talk to you about because. When when I did purification, it was basically like let's add some salt and get it off the column. But there are other steps involved, uh, depending on like a protein's isoelectric point or something like that. And is there anything that you can share, like secrets wise? What would you <laughs> tell a burgeoning biochemist who was trying to perfect a purification scheme? What kinds of things should they be looking for? I would tell them to get really good at ion exchange chromatography and size exclusion. <laughs> that those everything is sort of uh, centered around those. Those are really the workhorses. And as you mentioned, it, it is it is amazing how some proteins can sustain such low pHs or high levels of solvent or even high temperatures. I in the case of human liver ferritin, I remember making it, and we would. You know, there was a heat treatment step that would bring the protein up to like something like 70 Celsius and it did just fine. So it, it, it and what's it's some of their they're always like resilient in, in sort of odd ways, too. So if you look at, at prolactin, for example, prolactin is only partially soluble at neutral pHs, but is more soluble in slightly alkaline pHs. And so you can I mean, if you want to inject it into an animal, you can dissolve it in, in sodium hydroxide. And that there's not they're not going to get an infection from that injection, knowing that it's, it's at pH 14 when when it's being injected. But, you know, then the same protein, if if you just look at it the wrong way, it'll fall apart, too. So, you know, they they, they have their own stability, but it's always sort of specific to each each type of protein. And each one kind of has its own little characteristics and nuances that you really you really kind of have to learn and you really only get sort of on the job. You have to be sort of careful with the more of the harsher stuff because, uh, you know, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to sell a native, unadulterated version of, of this protein where a solvent step could potentially damage the antigenic potential of, of these proteins. And so we do try to limit some of the harsher purification steps and really kind of keep it more in a physiological ionic strength and pH so that it where it really is most happy most of the time. You know, so while they can endure go getting down to pH three, they don't love it. And sometimes you can damage the prosthetic groups that I, we had discussed earlier or the other antigenic potential of the product by using something like a harsh solvent. 
we do kind of try to handle them as gently as possible. You know, they go into the fridge every night and you try to finish the product and the prep as quickly as possible because they lose lose activity every every second that you're that you're working with them and and you hurt your yield every purification step that you make so while i could make i could generate a purification scheme that happens to produce this 100% pure product the problem is that it involves 28 chromatography steps and by the time you get there you have a 2% yield and it it's not going to benefit anybody you definitely have to weigh the the pros and cons of each purification step the whole chromatography and protein purification are it to me is it's fun it's fun to come up with a chromatographic scheme where or, or some sort of purification scheme whereby you start with uh, an ethanol precipitation and then move on to an acid extraction and then you know on to the cation exchanger and then the then the hydrophobic interaction and you know once you kind of put have strong enough purifi- purification steps in a row you you go from a source material which contains literally hundreds of thousands of different types of proteins down to one. It's pretty fun. <laughs> I like it. It's kind of a, I don't want to say a game. It's more than, more than science a little bit. Uh, there's definitely an element of art to it, which, which I, which I really enjoy. And part of the problem that I have with trying to get on more employees, even PhDs who, who maybe have a higher level of fundamental understanding of these products than I do, they may not have the same level of purification experience. And even though they they know, you know, can draw every molecule in the human body from memory, I'm still going to have to train these these folks for for over a year learning these different chromatographic schemes and and all these little steps, you know, you know, on like I mean, how many people know off the top of their head that if you have bubbles in the bottom of your chromatography column that if you stick it in a bucket of ice water and run the pump, it'll get the bubbles out because because air is more soluble in cold water. You know, just the little tricks of the trade here and there that really you can't learn in school that you have to pick up on the job. And I really enjoy that that art aspect of it. And so, yeah, I really appreciate your expertise in the biochemical sense, because like there there's a lot of stuff that I learn from just going to classes and actually doing myself. But if you asked me to purify, you know, <laughs> HCG from urine, I probably couldn't do it. Like I, I've been used to for a long time using like, you know, histamical yeah. purification and GST <laughs> tag purification, stuff like it, that. It would be nice and, if there was an affinity tag on on these proteins. And some of them yeah. some of them have natural. Uh, you'll run into a protein every once in a while that has like three histidine re- residues naturally next to each other and it and it actually will bind nickel or something like that and so that no those, those are tools that i do use so you're, you're giving away all my secrets here oh no but you know it's <laughs> basically uh, it, it's essentially biochemistry and you just yes. have to find the right touch it's kind of like cooking right because you Absolutely. just gotta find the right yeah, right one the spices to make it taste good i i am an astonishingly good chef people people would get to know me they wouldn't think that i would be interested in cooking or any good at it but it definitely is the same the same skill set <laughs> Would you have any uh, words of advice for anybody trying to run a business or become an excellent biochemist or anything like, like that? Just basically, what has Josiah Carney learned from this entire process? If you want to, if you want to run a business, don't use your own money to do it. <laughs> Get a loan or figure out some other way to do it. Don't don't risk your own money. That's kind of business 101. Don't mortgage your house. <laughs> Be prepared to work those hundred-hour weeks. It doesn't really feel like work, though. It's for me. I Pronique is is so 
sort of tied to my identity at this point that it, it doesn't, I don't feel like I'm doing work really when I'm there. I feel like it's part of the family almost. Like I've said, it's kind of odd how it, it feels like sometimes your business sort of takes on a, its own little personality. In terms of, of becoming a competent protein chemist, you got to get your hands dirty, man. You got to be a Got to be willing to do the slicing and dicing at times when it requires it. Be patient. I always say this to people. I say, why would anything ever work? Because nothing ever works. Everything's always broken. So you have to have a lot of patience. When I first started working here, and you'll notice I still say working here. I still, I literally work for my company. It's kind of an interesting nuance, but I, I, I don't own, I don't own or manage the company. I work for it. (laughs) I still feel that way. But if, Expect that most things aren't going to work. Uh, have lots of patience. Be able, take the time to read the instructions every once in a while. Uh, <laughs> that's you know you'd be amazed at how at how much you can learn about chromatography by reading the little insert that comes with the resin. Don't assume you know I I I feel like I know enough to just know that I don't know very much at this point. Sort of sort of assume that there's always more you can learn. And don't necessarily discourage somebody just because, you know, they they don't have a whole lot of experience or, or in my case, even I, I really higher level educations, you know, it, it on working is different than ac- academia and I, they, they may surprise you. Some of the some of the best, you know, things I, I've learned in the lab or discovered, I feel like have come from interns who really have a very have had one semester of any level of college science classes. And so, you know, you'll, you'll be surprised where, where good ideas can come from. So listen to everybody. Don't take it too seriously. I, I feel like that's maybe a mistake I made early on was I sort of came from a world of not being in charge, you know, being, being sort of a lower rung on the ladder. And I, and when I got to run things, I sort of started running them with the impression that everybody was out to get me, uh, I had a lookout. Everyone was going to be trying to screw me over in contracts or whatever like that. And so I was kind of mean at the at the start. I've since learned to not take it so seriously. One thing I, w- I would like to mention when you are an entrepreneur, the personal and the the, the people will say don't don't mix your personal and your and your work life. Uh, that's kind of unavoidable when you're an entrepreneur entrepreneur because I have so many great relationships with so many different businesses and individuals at these businesses that the people who I work with are very much my friends. And I think of them as not necessarily as customers or vendors. They, they, they are my friends. I have a, a vendor that I work with in China and I, we, we send each other presents when I had, when I had COVID, he sent me a box of a beautiful box of uh, tea to help me, help me recover. And, you know, so I, I sent him some, some American red wing work, work boots, you know, and, and it were, we're not doing this because we're sucking up to each other. It's, you know, we're, we're actually friends and we think it's fun to fun to work together. And, and it is, it's business. Business is fun. It really is. It's fun to run. It's fun to go, fun to go sit in the meetings and and wear the suit and pretend to be important. You know, (laughs) I, I enjoy it. I, I really do. Yeah. And the networking aspect of it is very important too, because it's basically what got you into this in the first place is knowing the right people to get you into the opportunity. So I thought that was a really important lesson. And I, I, I think just about everything that I've done, there's always been somebody helping me. And it's good to know that there's a community of people out there helping you as well, even though you're, you're almost a, a one-man show. Absolutely. And 
don't don't pull the ladder up behind yourself. You know, that's help the next generation of people, young people who might be interested in pursuing the sciences. Don't discourage them. Um, I would encourage anybody to if you have kids or no no kids or young people who might might be interested to help cultivate them in the sciences and don't discourage you want that innate curiosity because that's that's really what drives innovation and never say no that's something i learned is i just never i just never said no to any of the opportunities that that come my way you know I, i'm like all right well this is another opportunity let's make it work and then good things just continue continue to find me yeah, you make your own luck, man. And you, you've made a lot of time for me. And I really appreciate that we got to know each other and that you were able to share your story with us. It's wonderful. And I thank you for your time, Josiah. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. Like, again, I'm just really flattered that that you would have thought I, I was suitably important enough to be on your on your podcast. Thank you. Well, everybody's important in their own way. And this has been a conversation <laughs> with Mr. Josiah Carney, the president of Pronique Scientific in Colorado. And we hope you join us again next time when we will explore another exciting topic about bioscience research and careers. BioChat is a production of AppColonial Technology, hosted and edited by myself, Ken Lund. Please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts and follow us on social media. You can find our various socials in the show notes link to Dr. Beaker's page on appclone.com, or you can also find our vast catalog of biological reagents and services. Uh, Josiah, I forgot to ask, where can we find you online? You can find me making hilarious LinkedIn statuses on LinkedIn. Otherwise, proniquescientific.com is, is my website. There is a contact me if you feel like dropping me a line. And if you wish to contact the podcast directly for an interview opportunity or any comments or to inquire about AppClonal's quality services and products, please send a message to service at AppClonal.com. Thank you for listening, and we will see you on the next episode.